Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, welcome to Good Friday. It is a joy to be here, isn't it? And uh, from me to you, I just want to thank you for being a part of our service today. Um, Oftentimes, uh, Good Friday is more of a somber service, and uh, it is going to be that in some ways for us. But we also want to recognize today as we gather that it is also good. And um, the sacrifice that Jesus offered was good and perfect. And it is our joy today as we gather to be able to celebrate that. And so... um, from me to you, I just want to welcome you to our service. If this is your first time here at Valley Church, I want to also welcome you. Um, if you have kids with you today, um, I just wanted to let you know we don't have childcare arranged in the back, but we do have rooms available with toys, and the service is also streaming back there as well. If you need to, at a certain point, step out and do coloring pages or something with the children, there are also coloring pages on the back table back there. If you, need, if you need crayons and coloring pages, feel free to get up and grab those for your kiddos um, during, during my message today. But um, why don't we begin our time with a word of prayer and uh, just ask the Lord Jesus to, uh, to bless our time as we, as we uh, look at uh, his sacrifice tonight. Thank you, Father, that, uh, Lord, you've gathered us here together as your church. And Lord, as we look back so far ago, Lord, to your faithfulness and the sacrifice that you offered, we also just remember that, uh, Lord, today as we, as we look back upon it, we can look forward to your return. And God, that uh, Jesus, you died and you rose again back to life. You are the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in you will have eternal life. And so, Lord Jesus, we uh, just want to enjoy you this evening and go to your word and learn from it and uh, just, God, be blessed in this Easter season. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. Uh, We are continuing tonight with a series that we actually began a few weeks ago that we entitled The Table. And uh, we started this series knowing that we were going to be coming to the Lord's table, table tonight on Good Friday. And so, uh, so I wanted to spend my message tonight uh, really focusing on that aspect of Good Friday. And also, it was actually Thursday, Thursday night, Monday, Thursday, when uh, the disciples of Jesus gathered together with him to celebrate and recognize uh, Passover, the Lord's Supper. And so the way I want to begin is actually way before the text that we see um, in Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be going in in just a few moments. But this begins all the way back in 1880 B.C. 1880 B.C., almost 2,000 years before our Savior was born. Uh, God had uh, made a promise to one of uh, Jesus' ancestors named Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you, Abraham. And the problem was Abraham didn't have children. He remained childless. And, uh, and so God miraculously provided him with a child, Isaac. 
And God then miraculously provided Isaac with, with another child. Well, actually, two that we know about, Jacob and Esau, two brothers. And the promise went to the younger one, Jacob. And Jacob also had a number of sons. And uh, what happened between these, all these sons of Jacob was that they got kind of jealous of one of their brothers. His name was Joseph. Joseph, you probably know his story. He was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And he, he remained a slave there under, under Potiphar's house. Um, he, he was falsely accused of rape. He ended up being thrown in prison. It felt like a hopeless situation, but he, didn't, he, he knew God's plan and his purposes would prevail. And he rose to being uh, kind of large and in charge, even there in prison. But after interpreting the dream for the baker and the butler, and then be, one of them being restored to his positions, he was forgotten until the Pharaoh had a dream. And that was a dream that uh, actually was a prophecy of what was to come. And Joseph was called in, rushed into the, into the palace, and there Joseph interpreted the dream that there was going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And because it seemed like Joseph was the right man for the job to actually oversee the seven years of plenty to store up grain and food and all, all the resources, he became second only to the Pharaoh. God had a plan and a purpose for his life. And so when, the, when his brothers came knocking on his door looking for food during the famine, you would have thought that Joseph would have said, get out of here, you good-for-nothing brothers. But that's not what he did. He knew God's plan and his purposes were that through hardship, that God was doing something to save many lives. And so when the brothers came, he actually chose forgiveness of them, and he welcomed them to live with him in Egypt. He welcomed his whole family, 70 in all, in the year 1880, to come and live with him in Egypt. Now, life was good up until the time when the current pharaoh died. See, they, they had been treated with, with favor by that current pharaoh, and when he died, the favor was also, also died with it. The next pharaoh that came into power uh, was, was someone that said, uh, we don't want these foreigners here living as equals in Egypt. We're going to make them slaves. And so for the next 430 years, the Israelites became slaves in Egypt. And they cried out to God in all their sorrow because the Egyptians would, would use them for hard labor. They would, they would have to make bricks and, and build these great cities that the Egyptians wanted. And, and man, they went through hardship after hardship until the greatest hardship of all was that the Pharaoh thought that they had grown too large in size. And so he said, I want to have all the baby boys that are born now to these Israelites, I want them to be killed. A horrible situation. They cried out to God and God answered by sparing the life of a little baby named Moses. And God delivered Moses from, from the Red Sea, actually had, had, him, had him grow, grow up, um, actually from the Nile River, had him grow up in the house of Pharaoh himself and then Moses was called by God to become the deliverer of his people Israel. God said, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You know what Pharaoh said? No. He said no. Nine times he said 
No, a few times he said yes, and then he changed his mind. But what we, what we know these nine times is that God sends a plague into all of Egypt to try and soften the heart of the Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. And nine times these plagues come into the land of Egypt. Plague of darkness, plague of turning the water into blood, a plague, plague of, um, of, of locusts, you know, a plague of hail. You know, and it went on and on and on. And each one of these was against the gods of the Egyptians. This is what we see God was doing, proving that he is the one true God. But Pharaoh's heart was still hard up until God said, I'm going to send one final plague and it's going to be the most devastating of them all. And this was the plague of the death of the firstborn. What God had planned was that he was going to send an angel of death through all of Egypt. And uh, that night that the angel came, the firstborn of every family and every animal would, would die. And God actually provided a way, though, for these Israelites to be saved. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and I want you to kill it. I want you to, to sacrifice it for me. I want you to take its blood, and I want you to, to paint its blood with a hyssop branch on the doorposts of your home so that when the angel of death comes through the camp that night, he'll see the blood and he'll pass over your home. And so that night when the angel of death came in through all of Egypt, there was great wailing because many, many lives were, were taken. Many of the firstborns were killed. But among the Israelites who had listened to God and obeyed his command, their lives were spared. And so what they called this was the Passover. Because what happened is that Pharaoh was so enraged and so broken that he actually not, not only just allowed the Israelites to leave and, and to, to go out where, the, where they were asking him to go. No, he commanded them to go. And all, all, of, the, all of the other uh, Egyptians actually took off their jewelry and, and threw, it at, threw it at the Israelites saying, get out of here, leave, leave, leave us, you're a curse to us. And so they went out. That night, they packed all their things. They left in haste. And now this, this tribe that, that had come into Egypt, being about only 70 people over that 430 years, it had grown to three to four million people at the time. This was a huge amount of people, huge exodus from, from Egypt. And they left. And that is something that God, as they wandered out, God led them by, by day through a pillar, pillar of cloud, led them by night through a pillar of fire, led them all the way into, into the desert and brought them to the promised land. What God told the Israelites, he said, I don't want you to forget that night. I don't want you to ever forget that night that I delivered you by the blood of the Lamb. And so what the Lord said is, I, I want you to institute a feast. I want you to feast on this night. Every year, I want you to mark this on your calendar as being the day that the Lord your God delivered you, and I want you to call it the Passover. And what they would do is that they would, they would uh, take some of the same elements that uh, they, they had that very night, 
and uh, they would they would uh, break bread in their homes together. They would they would take different different elements like like a like a boiled egg to remind themselves of the sacrifices. They would take a hyssop branch to remember remember them spreading the blood on the door. They would they would actually take a, a mixture of of apples and vinegar and things like that to remember the hardship of serving as slaves. And God, God gave them all these symbols to remember back to what he had delivered them from so that they would never, ever forget. But it wasn't just the Passover, though, that they remembered. They actually, in the, in the seven days that followed, uh, practiced what's also called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And uh, the unleavened bread was something, if you didn't know, because they had to leave in such haste, they actually had to bake their bread without yeast. And if, if you've ever baked bread without yeast, all, what you know is that this bread turns out very flat, okay? And it's not that great to eat. It's basically like a hard cracker, okay? But it, it was striped. It was full of holes. It just, it was, you know, it wasn't the greatest thing in the world. But what God said is, I want you to make this kind of bread every year, and I want you to eat it so that you remember how the Lord your God delivered you out of Egypt. I say all that to bring us to where we're at tonight, because here we are in Luke chapter 22. And what you've already seen on the screen was Jesus sharing a Passover meal with his disciples. See, Jesus was also a Jew, and part of his heritage was to attend uh, the, the regular feasts that the Jews practiced as well, along with his disciples. And so it was his desire to partake of Passover that night before he was arrested and then crucified and, and, uh, and hanging on the cross gave his life for us. It was his heart to celebrate this Passover. And I want, I want to tell you a little bit about that night. So in Luke chapter 22, and I'm just going to read starting in verse 14, and we'll focus on two verses tonight specifically. It says there, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, but before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We'll stop there. As you see Jesus celebrating the Passover, he did it in a little bit of a different way. And what I want us to do is just focus in on two, two of the verses uh, there, uh, beginning with, with verse 19. It says there that he took bread, and Jesus himself took bread. And he took, what, what he took in his hands was, was what was known as unleavened bread. Okay, and we talked about this a little bit before. What was coming up for them was, it was a feast of the unleavened bread. They were going to remember what had happened. The unleavened bread was baked without yeast. And in Scripture, 
What we know about unleavened bread is that that leaven is commonly uh, paralleled in Scripture with with sin. And uh, Jesus actually warned. He said things like, "Beware of the leaven." of the Pharisees, you know, watch out for, for things that get into your life that start to grow and, and make their way into you, okay? And so, so he used, used this terminology that people were really familiar with. Well, we, what we know about Jesus was that he was, he was the perfect one. He had sin. Jesus was a spotless, perfect lamb of God. And so he, he, was, he was the unleavened bread, he was symbolized in this, okay? The other thing that we, we know about, about this bread was that um, it was also um, striped. This may not be the perfect example of it, but, uh, but you, you can see that the unleavened bread was, was often, when, when, you, when you eat of it, you'll see that it was striped because of the way that it was baked. It was baked very crudely. There was burn marks on it. It was, it was kind of kind of a not not the prettiest looking loaf of bread that you've ever seen in your life, but it was it was baked in this way. And so there were stripes upon it. And as as he took this bread, he, he showed it to them, and, and it, it was reminiscent of what his body was going to become. What did Jesus say about, about this bread? He said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus' body was going to look similar to this bread. In just a matter of hours, Jesus was going to be arrested and he was going to be beaten. Roman guards were going to take a whip and slap it over his back over and over and over again until, until he was beaten to within an inch of his life. And so these stripes were reminiscent of what Jesus was going to endure on our behalf. The other thing about, about unleavened bread was, was that unleavened bread also, you'll notice if you've ever seen it, it also is pierced. There are often holes within the bread. And what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, I want to read it for you. He said this. He wrote, almost 500 years before, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are healed. And so you can just imagine Jesus taking this bread and showing it to the disciples and the disciples were probably thinking when, when Jesus took it, oh, we know what this bread means. That's the unleavened bread of the Israelite, Israelite women. They didn't have time to bake it before they left. Jesus saying, no, it's much more than that. This bread represents me. Now, there, there's an aspect in the Seder meal, and the Seder meal is what, what the Jews called it um, when they would celebrate the Passover, when they'd have all these different elements. And what they would do when they would partake of the bread is that uh, they often had three pieces of it, okay? And I have three pieces here with me, three pieces of, of unleavened bread. And, and what they thought these three pieces represented was they thought, oh, this, this, these, these three pieces represent our great-great-great-grandfather Abraham, our great-great-grandfather Isaac, and our great-grandfather Jacob. 
That's who they represent. And so they would remember their ancestors in that way by eating, eating of the bread. But what they would do is that they would take the third loaf and they would break it. And then they would take a cloth, they would wrap that broken piece in a cloth, and they would take it and they would go hide it. The father of the house would go hide it somewhere so that the children didn't know where it was. And they'd wait from Thursday night all the way till Sunday morning until the kids could go and find it. Does any kids want to go find the piece of bread? Who wants to go find it? Izzy, come on up. (laughs) Where'd the father put it? There it is. Yeah. (laughs) Good job. We didn't practice that, by the way. (laughs) But as you can see, there was something built into the Seder meal that that we see some symbolism in as well. Because what was going to happen to the body of Jesus? Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. His body would, none of his bones would be broken but, but his body would truly be broken and it would be crucified. His, his human nature, his humanity would die. His, his, he would die as a human being. He would experience, he experienced everything that we did. Says, but he was without sin. He died on that cross. His body was taken down. It was wrapped in grave clothes. It was hidden. Then what happened three days later? Sunday morning, someone came to seek it. The women came to seek it, but it wasn't found, was it? Pretty amazing. This was symbolic of who Jesus was, what he had come to do, what he had come to become for us on our behalf. All those hundreds of years before, Jesus was setting something up. And that is why Jesus said, took bread when he had given thanks broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. While they looked back, what they were doing was they were looking forward to what Jesus would do for them. And as we take communion, you'll recognize this familiarity with that language. As we take communion, we also look to what Jesus did on our behalf. His body was broken for us, that we might be healed. Let's go on to the second verse. It says then that, that he, he then, um, in verse 20, and likewise, a cup. It says, after they had eaten, saying, this cup, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, as, as the disciples saw Jesus raise up that cup, what, what they thought probably to themselves was, oh, we know what that cup is for. Now, we, we know that, that that cup represents the cup of redemption. See, there, there are three cups, or actually four cups within the Passover meal. Um, the, the first cup was, I'll have to find it here, the cup of sanctification. The second cup was the cup of judgment. The third cup that was offered was the cup of, of redemption. And the fourth cup that was drank was the cup of praise. And the third cup, we know that this was the third cup because it was taken after supper. The third cup was the cup of, of redemption. And what they did is they, they remembered 
the blood of the lamb that was offered on behalf of, of the people. How, how that lamb was, was sacrificed, how, how his blood was shed, that perfect lamb's blood was shed. Its blood was used to, to paint on those, on those doorposts of the house. But what Jesus saying was that there is more. Just as those Israelites took, took that, that blood and painted it vertically and horizontally, what Jesus way back then was painting the picture of was the cross. He was showing us the Lamb of God has finally come for all people. And so what he would have to remind his disciples, and he didn't do it right here, he probably could have, he could have said, hey, do you remember how John the Baptist, right before I was baptized, said, hey, look, it's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. That's him. Jesus was saying, that's me. I am the Lamb of God. I'm the perfect Lamb of God who has come, whose blood will be shed so that the wrath of God will pass over you. I'll cover you with my blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, it says in Scripture, cleanses us from all sin. That's what we celebrate tonight. That's why Good Friday is so, so good. As we look at this again, we see Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. His blood would be poured out for us. It says in Scripture, as Jesus was hanging on that cross, in order for the soldiers to finish the job before the day was over, what they did is that they took a spear and they thrust it up into his chest cavity. And it says there that blood and water came out. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so as we've seen tonight, as we've looked at this Last Supper, as we've looked at the Passover meal and the parallels, we've looked back, we've seen how it looks forward to Jesus. But I don't want to leave you there because there's actually one more thing that I want you to know tonight on this Good Friday that makes it so good. So I want you to bring you back a couple verses. It says there in verse 18, Jesus actually talked about how he wants to share this Passover meal again. His desire was to take it before he was crucified, but he said, I'm not going to take it again until another time. He said, he said in verse 18, For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Until the kingdom of God comes. Isn't that beautiful? So not only does the Passover look back, not only does the Passover look forward to Jesus, but the Passover looks ahead to something that is still to come, that we await for today, and that we can remember as we, as we, as we take time to remember Jesus' suffering, as we partake of communion tonight. We're going to remember that Jesus is still yet to come. He's going to return for his own. And in eternity, guess what? We're going to share that cup. We're going to share that bread with him together. And it's going to be a feast. We, as Valley Church, we as part of the global church all across the world are going to celebrate with our Savior Jesus who has defeated death and brought us life through his blood.
And so can I ask you just as we close, have you placed your faith in the work of Jesus on your behalf? Have you trusted in him as the perfect lamb of God? What scripture says is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have missed the mark. We've all fallen short. But what scripture also says is that uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Have you received his blood on your behalf today? And if you have, or if you want to tonight, you can know for sure that when your time of death comes, that angel of death will pass over you and you'll be brought from death to life because you have assurance and a hope in eternity of being with Jesus forever. And so let's bow our heads. Let's thank Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Lord, on this Good Friday, we recognize, God, that, that you are the faithful God who sent your Son for us. Holy God becoming flesh, giving his life for us. And God, we stand in awe of you tonight. We stand in awe of how all those years ago, Lord, you painted a picture for us of what you would ultimately come and do. And Lord, you told us what you're going to come and do again. You're going to return. And so, Lord, this evening, we look forward to that. And we pray, Lord Jesus, would you come quickly. For all of you here that uh, maybe are hearing the message of the gospel for the first time as you keep on praying, maybe you want to receive Jesus right now. If that's you and you realize that you're a sinner and your sin separates you from God and you want to have assurance and a hope in eternity, you can pray, Lord Jesus, would you just save me? I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. And I put my faith in you today. I want to be your child. I want to walk in hope. I don't want to walk in victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, we thank you for the lives that you're saving, for the hope that you're bringing. And Lord Jesus, we're grateful for it all. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.